It's called a mitam of David. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We give thanks to this for this the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, we've got a truly wonderful section of scripture to look at this morning. Uh, I mean, you could say that of all sections of scripture in a sense, but it is true that there are some passages of the Bible that just speak to us so more, so succinctly and clearly and so fully, and are such a source of encouragement. And one of, uh, one of those precious passages is Psalm 16, which is our text this morning. We'll go through the whole of Psalm 16 quickly uh, because it's very clear and straightforward. But it's concerned with uh, revealing to us or instructing to us, reminding to us the purpose of life, what, what it is to live, what it is to live a good life. Um, and that's a concern for us. It's an encouragement to us. It's also a responsibility because we have a responsibility to explain the reason for the hope that we have to those around us. So as we come to the Word of God, let's pray, shall we? Father, we give you thanks for the hope that we have in your word. It's made so clear. We thank you that it does not rest upon our own works. It's not because of our goodness. It's not because of anything special in us. It's because of your grace to us revealed in your word in Jesus Christ come into this world to sacrifice himself for us and to take us to be at your side where he is. Thank you for this great wonderful truth which puts everything else in our life into a place of, of utter insignificance alongside your love for us and your plan for us. Help us to see this clearly this morning. We ask, forgive us for our lukewarmness that we so often get distracted by things which really don't matter and we often uh, worry and fret about things that we should trust you in. Help us to count our blessings and see your hand upon our life. Give us wisdom to think of how we share the reason for the hope that we have with those around us. And we pray, fill us with us that sense of hope and a sense of encouragement and help us go out of here this morning renewed in our faith and our love for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 
Okay, the sermon title I thought would call The Good Life, uh, which is a really wonderful, positive thought. But it's not just a thought for uh, the here and now. Uh, you can see that photograph, the sun setting in Florence in Italian. I guess you would think of La Dolce Vite and the good life would be for many, if you ask them, very much about enjoying the here and now. And uh, there's wisdom in that. Um, we're reminded to stop and smell the roses. Uh, we're reminded to spend time with our loved ones and enjoy our friends and family. And sometimes as Christians, we don't do that. So there's wisdom in enjoying the here and now. But there's so much more to what good life is than that, that we don't want to stop with that, uh, because there are burning questions. Uh, there are matters of lasting importance that go well beyond just whether we're going to have a nice lunch today and whether we're going to sit and relax in the sun. Uh, if that's all we have, it leaves us in a pretty bleak place. I thought I'd uh, put a photograph of a friend of mine here. I guess for all of us, we probably haven't been in some small jazz bar in, uh, in Manhattan and listened to an old guy on a saxophone and therefore haven't met Woody Allen face to face. I certainly haven't. Um, but you may have come across him through his films. But the more important point is, and the reason for having him here today, is you have met Woody Allen. Uh, you've met him in your house, perhaps. You've certainly met him in your office, in your workplace. Uh, he may be your husband. Um, okay, that's a scary thought. Um, brilliant, though, he might be. He may be your wife, your father, your mother, your sister, your brother. Uh, very likely there are people in your life who are in the position of Woody Allen. And I was thinking about this because I uh, was reading uh, a couple of days ago and came across an interview in Esquire magazine um, for another source uh, where Woody Allen was asked about the meaning of life, basically. And he gave some really thoughtful answers. I'll give you a few of them. Um, this is what Woody Allen said in an interview, which is in, uh, in the September issue. Um, of life in general, he says, it's just an accident that we happen to be on earth enjoying our silly little moments, distracting ourselves as often as possible so we don't have to face up to the fact that, you know, we're just temporary people with a very short time in a universe that will eventually be gone. And everything that you value, whether it's Shakespeare, Beethoven, Da Vinci, or whatever, will all be gone. The earth will be gone, the sun will be gone, there'll be nothing. And he goes on, the best that you can do to get through life is distraction. Love works as a distraction, and work uh, works as a distraction. You can distract yourselves a billion different ways, but the key is to distract yourself. And he concludes at the end of the interview by saying, um, in a note of humility, uh, a guy will say, well, I make my luck. And the same guy walks down the street and a piano that's being hoisted drops on his head. The truth of the matter is your life is very much out of your control. And uh, when you stop and think of these words, I'm sure you'll agree with me that you, uh, you have met Woody Allen, you do know him, um, perhaps some of the very best people that you know, some of the very dearest people that you love are Woody Allen. Uh, Woody Allen here stands in for uh, somebody speaking from, as uh, we have it in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, when Solomon, in a, in a period of darkness, says, meaningless, meaningless uh, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours under the, uh, at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and go. The sun 
rises, the sun sets. Uh, that perspective we find in the book of, of Ecclesiastes and we find in the words of Woody Allen uh, is a perspective of life under the sun. It's an existential perspective. It's based on the evidence of things that we can see around us. Um, it's mixed up with the instincts which God has imprinted into our hearts where we long for meaning, we long for goodness. Woody Allen can't tell us why some things are good and some things are bad, but he, he desperately believes in good and bad. He just can't tell you why. So on one hand, he's saying it's meaningless, and on another hand, he's saying, no, actually, some things are important, but it just, you know, I, I don't see the end to it. So it's a lostness, but it's a lostness which echoes some of the better parts of our human nature because God has put that in our, in our hearts. He's, he's created in us a longing for himself, uh, a sense of eternity. We're told he's put eternity in our hearts, and, and we don't find peace until we find solution to that. Uh, Woody Allen rises every morning as the sun rises. He's 78 years old. He's made 48 films. He works very hard. He's not doing that just to distract himself. He's, he's trying to find some meaning and some purpose. And I think his answer to us is very honest. So if somebody speaks like this or speaks like Solomon does in, in Ecclesiastes, um, there's a certain honesty to that that we have to engage with. Of course, we don't go to them to find the answer. Um, but we want to be prepared to give them if, when they ask us, well, why do you have hope? We need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Fortunately, Psalm 16, there's many passages of the, of the Bible, but Psalm 16 particularly clearly um, speaks um, so eloquently about what our hope is. It also speaks of a mystery that I'll come to at the end that was revealed in part to the writer David uh, but has been made much more fully clear to us. Um, let me come back to that. So Psalm 16, uh, verse uh, 1 to 11, we've, the whole psalm we've read through it, so I won't read through it again. Um, let me move forward to the first verses I want to have a look at, uh, verses 1 and 2. Keep me safe, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. I said to God, you are my Lord, apart from you, I have no good thing. Uh, Chris asked me whether I would mind preaching this Sunday, and I was uh, searching around for a sense of what it is I should preach on, um, and it's been a busy week, and I, I was thinking, as um, we've heard about Sumi's mum and her epic decision, and uh, this came to me, and I thought, well, this is very appropriate. It's also, to be frank, as a preacher, um, uh, a, a blessing for the encouragement but also because I have to do no work at all uh, this passage involves no hard labour to dig to the meaning it's one of those passages where verse by verse the meaning falls out very plainly so I take no credit for this um, but I hope that you'll join me in being encouraged so what's going on here well first of all uh, in you I take refuge God is our refuge very plain simple statement of truth Apart from you, I have no good thing. The inference is there is no good thing apart from God. And we're reminded that God is the source of all that is good. And we have this longing that Woody Allen expresses in his films, that your workmates and friends and family express in honest conversations. They may have given up on institutional religion. They may have had some bad experiences in church or other places, but they're left with this emptiness of wanting to find what's good and... Uh, we're told what is good. God is the source of all that is good. Somebody might say to you, why do you think about God so much? Why do you let religion structure your life? Well, I suppose we could say we don't let religion structure our life. It's not about religion, it's about a person. It's about God himself 
and particularly as he reveals himself to us in Jesus Christ. But because he is good, because he is our refuge, we submit to him. That's why we call him Lord. Not because he scares us, uh, not because we feel that we have to. We, we, we call him Lord because he's, he's the source of all that's good and he comes chasing after us. Uh, why would we not call him Lord? Verse 3 and 4, uh, once again, the message is very clear. Uh, As for all the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who increase uh, will increase, who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. We need, I think, to stop for a minute and think about the context of where David was. You know David's life story, very complex, um, better and richer than any screenplay for a television or movie. Um, lots of ups and downs, lots of difficulties. He was uh, facing, well, in the end, attacks not just from his friends but from his own son. Uh, and for all of his faults, and David certainly had faults, he was a man of God who, who had God's spirit revealing God's truth to him and he clung on to his faith and the hope that that came and many of his enemies uh, were criticizing him, uh, doubting, uh, causing him to doubt his faith, uh, were suggesting that his faith was misplaced. They had other quicker solutions, other gods who they said were more powerful and more immediate. And uh, David said, of all these, distract- all these distractions, I'm not, I'm not giving up my faith in what I know to be true. I know the one who loves me. I know that I'm hiding in a cave at the moment and my son is trying to kill me. I know that my kingdom has turned against me, but I have not given up faith in God. I know that he loves and cares for me. So in these two verses, we can see that that faith which David had, which, which by the grace of God we had, enables us to make sense of the, count, the various claims that are made. We can discern what's truly good. We know who we should trust in, and we know where our hope comes from. We take delight in it. We take delight in our fellow believers. They're a source of encouragement. They may be a source occasionally of frustration. It's true for Chris and for John who work in ministry. I'm sure they could attest the little ditty that you may have heard, Oh, to be with the saints in heaven, that will be glory. But to live with them down here on earth, that's another story. (laughs) It's not always the case that we encourage each other, but we do find encouragement in each other because we are a family and we live in a city and heaven is a city and a giant family. It's about being together. Um, And we we don't listen to those who who tell us that um, uh, our hope will never come, that our our faith is misplaced, that God doesn't really love us. He's, He's gone away, left us. That's not true. We know that. And part of the reason that we have that firm faith is we stop and reflect upon the hand of God upon us. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Bear in mind the context, David's life. You know the details, I think, basically, an eventful life. What's he saying here? God, you have been good to me. Your hand has been upon me. Uh, you have blessed me richly, and when I stop and think of that, that I'm encouraged. So recognizing the providence of God doesn't mean that everything has always gone well. It doesn't mean that we're not touched by death and disease. It doesn't mean that we don't know disappointment and heartache. But I think if we stop and 
make an exercise of going over the last few days, the last few months or years. We think of our lives and think of how God has blessed us. If we, as the song says, count our blessings, we'll see that we have a lot to be very grateful for. Even in times of adversary, uh, when there are sad times, there's a lot to be grateful for. Um, we've been thinking of this with Sumi's mum. Uh, she had an elevated temperature last night and they checked her white blood cell count and have taken her into hospital. And, you know, in all honesty, that's probably the last time she's going to hospital. She probably won't come out of there. And that's very sad. But we've also had great encouragement this week with the Spirit of the Lord touching her heart. And that's been very encouraging. And uh, I think she would be the first one to say that when she looks at everything, she thanks God. Um, and this is the, the sort of the deep and mature uh, truth that God reveals to us. It's not based simply on a pleasant lunch in the sunshine in Florence, the Dol- Dolce Vitae, or, or just distracting ourselves, as Woody Allen said. It's based on something more firm. But we do need to be in the habit, I think, of counting our blessings. At least I say that to you because I know that I do. Uh, I can easily get so distracted by the things that disappoint me and cause me to doubt that I s- stop to forget to stop and do a stock take and, and thank God for everything that he's done that's good. And when you do that stock take, you realize that, okay, you may have some things that have tested you, but that also has a purpose in God's hand. But beyond that, there's so much which is good. Think of your family, your friends, your loved ones, your spouses, your parents. Um, think of how God's blessed you at work. And think of, beyond that, the great, the great hope that we have, the delightful inheritance, which we'll speak of in a minute. I will praise the Lord, uh, David says in in verse 7 of Psalm 16. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Uh, We don't know quite the circumstances in which David first penned these words, moved by the Holy Spirit, Uh, But as I said, there are times when at night he must have woken or or laid awake feeling anxious and then stopped to think about uh, his faith and what God was doing in his life and found encouragement. And so we find from this that God guides and instructs us and watches over us. He never stops watching over us, but whether we listen to his guidance and instruction, of course, depends whether we stop to uh, throw ourselves upon him. It doesn't require an act of deep faith from us. It doesn't require some remarkable piety. It requires us to stop and to listen and to trust. But when we do, we find that he guides us and instructs us. The the anxious thoughts that keep us awake, he puts in perspective. And uh, we find that what we thought was important was not important, and he reminds us of the most important things. So for that reason, we fix our eyes upon him. Um, We make him the center of our thoughts we fix our eyes upon jesus Um, everything else uh, can distract us and to bring us down but when we know that god's in charge and he's watching over us that we know that the first and main thing we have to do is is to center ourselves upon him and then our boss maybe who doesn't like us at work or our colleagues who are competing with us or our family members who are being unpleasant or whatever it is that may trouble us god will deal with that if we seek first his kingdom, uh, he will deal with the rest. And if we do that, we should be thankful. And if we do that, we'll also find peace and joy. And I think one of the, the true hallmarks of God at work in our hearts is that peace and that joy that comes from us trusting in him. Uh, I think when that happens, people are going to look to us and say, well, what is the reason for the hope that you have? Why, why do you 
Why do you hope in God? Uh, you, you clearly are filled with some sort of hope. You should be angry. You should be upset. You should be bitter. You should be seeking revenge, but you don't. So why do you act this way? And when somebody says that to us, when we have coffee with Woody Allen, and he says, I don't know, I just don't understand why you don't give up, I don't understand the reason for the hope that you have, then we have a chance to, to speak graciously of what's going on. Let me uh, move forward to the last uh, set of verses and uh, then come back to a couple of other bits of scripture. So at the end of the psalm, verses 10 and 11, uh, David by the Holy Spirit writes, Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So at the end of everything, what really matters is is where we're going. Uh, not just what's happening today, this afternoon, but where we're going, where we're going for eternity. The good life is not just about um, finding peace and encouragement now. It's really about a sense of purpose and a, and a, and a destination. But let's come back to that. But I wanted to um, read these words from verse 10. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. We can hang on to that. Those are words for us. David, moved by the Spirit, wrote them about himself, and we can read them as being about ourselves. But there's a mystery there that goes that goes. Uh, beyond just that, and uh, it's a mystery which gives us a real sense of um, of encouragement. Uh, we find these ver- these uh, words of Psalm 16 repeated in other places in the Scripture, particularly in Acts chapter two. Uh, remember, uh, Paul is uh, speaking of what's happening. Um, he says, "Men of Israel, listen to this: Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs." This man was handed over to you, speaking of the crucifixion, by God's set purpose and and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And uh, David said about him, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. You will not let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Uh, Verses 27 and 28 of of Acts chapter 2. And he goes on to say, look, I can tell you that David, the psalmist who wrote these words, he was buried, his tomb's here in Jerusalem today. It's not just about him. Um, He was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave nor did his body see decay. So there's a mystery at the heart of this psalm. It certainly speaks uh, directly of, of, of David's situation and of our situation as we read it. I, I, I don't uh, distract from that at all. Um, but it speaks of a deeper mystery. And it's the mystery which explains why we have hope. Because God was speaking in this uh, enigmatic fashion that was more fully revealed to us. We're told that the angels longed to see the mystery, the mystery was re- revealed to us. The gospel, the good news, is the revelation of this mystery that God came into his own creation and that he uh, came in the form of his revelation of his word, the Son, as we understand him in language which barely uh, can, can touch on the, on, the, on the deep truth, that God came in Jesus Christ, his Son, his word, and he stood in our place. He was sacrificed deliberately. It wasn't that the evil men triumphed. It was God's plan, but he would not 
Uh, he was not left to the grave. He was not left to decay. That was God opening the way up for the rest of us to follow. So when we think about the, the wonderful deep truth of Psalm 16, we're told that God is speaking of a life eternal which Jesus has come before us to open the way, to, to usher us in, and that he's put us in the same place that he himself sits, that just as as uh, God resurrected Jesus, so one day you know, they'll, they'll bury our tired old bodies and um, no one will want to reuse them, but God will give us glorious new bodies. Uh, there will be a physical reality. We can't begin to grasp what it's actually like, but heaven is something very real and physical. It'll be um, like church with all the good bits and none of the bad bits. It'll be the fellowship of the believers together in a, in a great family, in a great city. Uh, and it's made possible by this, this, this act of mystery and deep love and grace that we only partly, very partly understand. And that's the reason we have hope. So we're reminded in, uh, in 1 Peter 3, verses uh, 15 and 16, uh, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We have to be prepared, always prepared, um, focusing on Christ, be prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. Uh, Woody Allen, of course, famously um, uh, is uh, a New Yorker, a Jewish New Yorker. He comes from the, um, uh, Jewish heritage. Like many Jews today, he doesn't have a strong religious faith. Many Jews do. If he did have a strong religious faith, then he would understand much of Psalm 16, as Jews have for centuries and centuries. Um, from my own experience, I know that for uh, pious and devout Muslims who earnestly, uh, as best they can, long after the truth, Psalm 16 would also ring true. For Sumi's mum, who comes from a Buddhist background uh, and therefore has, I think, a less clear understanding of the Abrahamic, uh, the truths revealed of the Abrahamic faiths, um, she's more in the situation or position of Woody Allen saying, look, I know that there's got to be some meaning in life and, and somebody like her all her life working after it, trying to find the meaning for, for, for living, but also how to be good, how to, how to, how to prepare for eternity, how to please God and, and struggling and finding different answers and not being satisfied. Well, uh, thank God these last few weeks through a difficult situation, she's found by God's grace, an answer to a lifelong quest. Uh, when uh, John and I were ch chatting with her on Tuesday morning, um, it, it came to me very strongly. Um, I think uh, John and Chris would agree that our job is to bear witness for the reason for the hope that we have. That's our task. We can't convert anyone. Um, thank heavens we don't have the old habit of some uh, church systems of tallying up conversions and saying it's your quota this week. We're not marketing agents. Um, we, we can't do anything except that God does it. But we have a responsibility to testify to the truth based on the hope that we have. And uh, Spurgeon once said of the gospel, when he was asked how he would defend the gospel, he said, defend the gospel? <laughs> it's like letting a lion out of a cage and asking how you'd defend the lion. In other words, just let the lion out of the cage. The gospel, by the grace of God, speaks for itself. We don't have to add our human defense, weak and puny that it is. Um, but we do need to speak of the reason for the hope. So we speak of reason. We speak of, of this um, great mystery. 
and we do it with gentleness and respect. God is sovereign. We see in Psalm 16, we're reminded again that God has placed, uh, our, our, you know, drawn our lines in pleasant places. He's, he's sovereign. He organizes, he orders our life. He orders everything in the universe. And when we're uh, given an opportunity to speak of, of this reason for hope, God has been there before us. He's been working in somebody's life. He's been laying bridges. He's been opening points of contact. The last thing that we should be doing is destroying those bridges. Uh, it's not for us to uh, deconstruct somebody else's um, system of, of belief. So I wouldn't say to Woody Allen, look, you, you've spent your whole life deceived. You've, you've been lost and deluded. All of your films are meaningless. I'd say the thing that you've been looking for is to be found here. The thing that you've intuited as being most important, here is the reason we have hope. You ask me the reason for my hope, I would say to you, the things that you've known to be good through your intuition can be found in, in the hand of God working this way. Um, and we, we speak with gentleness and respect of the reason for hope that we have. So in conclusion, and I won't go back over the points, but uh, when the scripture says, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay, you have made known to me the path of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In conclusion, uh, we know that this is a mystery and the Spirit of God is speaking here of Jesus Christ and that um, he has come into this universe, uh, he's been dropped down into time and space, God himself, the creator, has come into his own creation and he has gone ahead, he's opened the way, he's opened the door um, and uh, just as Jesus didn't stay in the grave nor will we stay in the grave because the resurrection is also our hope. But these words also speak directly to us at another level um, and we can take therefore very strong encouragement that God will not abandon us to the grave. I mean he will allow our bodies to be lowered into a hole somewhere or maybe you know, we're on a plane in mid-flight that blows up and they never find our bodies. It doesn't really matter. Uh, we'll all come to the end of the road. We'll all die soon enough. But that doesn't matter because there's a hope beyond that. Um, there's a hope beyond whatever small pleasure we get in distracting ourselves, as Woody Allen says, there's a hope that speaks of a lifetime together with the, 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 the uh, creator who made us and with each other, um, with uh, a real sense of, well, we said, uh, the path of life, joy in your presence, eternal pleasures at your right hand. It's, it's something we can't really describe. You've seen Hollywood's take on heaven. It's wrong. I mean... Maybe there's some, there's some insight there, but we can't begin to describe what lies ahead of us. We're told that no ear has heard, no eye has seen what God has prepared for those who love him. Um, but we do know that it's wonderful. We know that God will not abandon us. He will not let us die. He will let us die physically, but that doesn't matter because uh, the real life, the life eternal, the good life uh, goes on forever. He's given us life now, and he blesses us in many different ways, and he's secured it forever. It doesn't matter... Um, no one wants to hear a doctor say it's cancer uh, that will happen to many of us we'll all certainly die I can guarantee that it doesn't matter he's given us life that's secure beyond everything that our physical frailty can throw at us we will know immeasurable joy and being in his presence forever you will fill me with joy in your presence uh, there's a real reason for joy it's not just a momentary distraction um, we will find joy in each other's fellowship, but not the 
not the partial joy that we find in our present company where, you know, all of us are selfish and all of us tend to envy and to ego and so our human fellowship, even in a Christian sense, is imperfect now. But it'll be made perfect, uh, thank God. And we'll find eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, eternal pleasures will not be... Well, you can speak of palaces of gold. Uh, the book of Revelation describes this wondrous image of a city that's almost impossible to physically make sense of. But it, we can't begin to understand what this means. But the, the fact that God is good and in him is all goodness and that he has called us to himself um, means that we will find the thing that our hearts long for, the things that as human beings we're programmed to seek after, we'll find that forever at his side. Happiness without end. That's the good life. And that's the reason for the hope that we have. And uh, by the grace of God, when somebody says, you know, uh, Rose, why are you so happy? Why, why are you filled with hope? Um, you'll say, well, uh, because God has been good to me and he's, he's revealed to me that my hope and my eternity does not depend on my own righteousness or my own goodness or being religious or being Christian. It, it's something that God has done to me through Jesus Christ and it's, it's truly wonderful and that gives me hope beyond everything else. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we give you thanks for this truth, this deep, deep truth that we only barely begin to understand that we have a reason for hope and that everything that we see around us which is good now we will find at your side in your presence forever, uh, unbroken. And the fellowship which we enjoy now with each other and with you will be enjoyed in full in your presence forever. Father, we do ask your forgiveness that we are so lukewarm and so quick to forget these things that as we turn away from the scripture we forget the, the really most important things in life. We pray that as we go out of here you'll encourage us and that we'll remember these most important things and they'll fill us with hope. We pray that through that you'll glorify yourself and we pray that you would open to us doors of opportunity to speak to those around us and that they would ask us the reason for the hope that we have and help us to speak with grace and love and humility of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name.